0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: Hey leaders, I want to thank you for listening and for supporting our important work this past year as we grow to master leadership collectively. And as we close out 2018, here are the top 10 most listened to episodes. We look forward to continuing to add value in 2019. Enjoy.
0: Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions. And this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with
2: questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria.
1: Hi, this is Lily, and today we are speaking with Joseph Salamoni. When Joe thinks of his adolescent years as a bullied child, it brings up memories that are difficult to forget. However, Joe's experiences, as painful as they are, have led him to his position as a leader now. The founder and executive director of a federally recognized nonprofit dedicated to combating bullying on Long Island. Luckily, bullying never silenced Joe's innate desire to lead and instead fostered his desire to stand out from the crowd. Joe seized the opportunity to tackle one of society's growing epidemics and to help those most vulnerable to it to learn and recognize that there is a brighter tomorrow. Under Joe's leadership, the Long Island Coalition Against Bullying has quickly become Long Island's most prominent organization dedicated to fighting bullying. It has helped numerous families in need with personal development programs, resources, and advocacy, as well as helping educate our schools and communities. The accomplishments of the organization are many but Joe is never comfortable accepting sole responsibility for them. His belief system and leadership style place a heavy emphasis on the empowerment of the team. Joe believes that one of the bedrock principles of leadership is more than creating followers. It is to encourage others to feel safe enough and take risks as leaders themselves. So welcome, Joe Salamoni. How are you? I'm
2: good, Lily. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. And we're so happy to have you on our podcast. As you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. So Joe, are you ready to pour into our listeners?
2: I am. Absolutely.
1: Awesome. Now, Joe, can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now? Sure.
2: I guess some would always say that I always had an aspiration to be a leader of some kind. When I was younger, I had this dream that I wanted to be the president of the United States. It was like the joke that kind of followed me around everywhere. I was very into politics. But I tried to hold various leadership positions in my later years, You know, 11th, 12th grade, I ran for my local school district's board of education the year after I graduated high school. I did that twice. I lost both times, but I did try to do it. And then uh, as I matured and got a little older and, you know, I remembered life's experiences from when I was in younger grades, as well as, you know, some life experiences as I got older, I decided that I was going to form the nonprofit, which leads me to the leadership role that I'm in now as executive director of the Long Island Coalition Against Bullying. I ultimately decided that politics was not really something that I wanted to pursue as a career. Although I still had an interest in it, I'm finding myself much more suited for what I'm doing now. And in my, I say my professional career, although running a nonprofit is absolutely a professional career, but in my paying job, I also am an executive in a medical supply and technology company. I guess leadership kind of finds me and, you know, I embrace it whenever possible.
1: So the Long Island Coalition Against Bullying, what Mm -hmm. made you choose that? What was it that really gravitated your heart to that?
2: I was bullied from sixth grade to around 11th grade and in various forms. Obviously, there was no social media back then, so uh, I didn't have to deal with cyberbullying. But the more traditional form of bullying... Physical, verbal, those kind of things. And then, as far as what drove me to make a nonprofit about it for the island, I was in a hospital waiting room on the island in 2013, and I witnessed a special needs individual be, you know, mocked and harassed in the waiting room. And I just sat back and said, you know, if this can happen where there's an audience of people around to witness it. That means that they felt it was acceptable to do and they weren't going to be challenged, in which case that to me means that more needed to be done to stop and prevent and help those who are dealing with it already. So I just took the interest that I have in the nonprofit world and decided to put attention to this where it was obviously due to my personal experiences, it it was an emotional connection for me and that's kind of where it led.
1: Well, it's certainly very needed. And I applaud you for doing this. And it certainly sounds like it's a passion project of yours.
2: Absolutely. A hundred percent.
1: So Joe, how would you describe your leadership style?
2: I would say a mix of unique and traditional. I am not a person who believes in, you know, micromanaging. I much rather look at things as a team You know, when I sit, you know, around the table with the rest of the board, I don't look at them as superior to them in any way. I often shy away from even acknowledging that I'm the founder of the organization just because it's not about me at the helm or anything like that. So I look at things kind of like leading by example. I work as hard as I do so that it serves as an example for how I want other people to do things. The passion that I put into things is the passion I would like to see others do as well. It doesn't always work out that way, but it doesn't prevent me from trying to still hold to that. But I don't believe in you know the looking over somebody's shoulder, always constantly checking. You know, part of what I think makes us so successful is that everybody feels like they own whatever piece they're working on. At least from the nonprofit perspective where I have the final say on most things, I want everybody to look at it as if you are championing a certain portion of what we're doing, for example, the individual that we just brought on to run our smile package committee, you know, which is one of the major programs that the organization does for the community, I'm not going to look over your shoulder to make sure it's done. I'm not going to tell you how I want it done. I'm not going to tell you how I would prefer it to be done. I'm not going to tell you how I would do it. I want you to feel like this is yours. This is the piece of something that I may have built, but this is the part you're getting to own. And I want you to be as successful as you can be with it. And obviously with some direction when it's needed, but I don't like being that type of look over your shoulder type individual. And I think when you give people the opportunity to really feel like they can make of it as much as they put into it, it gives them their own ability to be a leader in a smaller way. I think when you go back to it, I'm unique in certain ways, but you know, traditional in others where when it comes to things getting done you know, and getting done on time, you know, I still have that kind of drive and such. But my end goal is to inspire people to kind of take something and make it their own.
1: So your uniqueness lies in selecting key people empowering them and trusting them to do the work they were hired to do, correct?
2: Absolutely. I mean, trust is a big thing, especially Mm -hmm.
1: when you started something and
2: you're hoping that it's successful. You know, We're still relatively new on the scene. This year is actually our fifth anniversary, but there are still a lot of organizations, a lot of schools, a lot of people in the community who don't even know we're there. So when we're still kind of in infancy, it's important that we're represented the right way, so it does require me to have a lot of trust in individuals that I would like to get involved, but that's part of the risk that you take. You know, you have to be willing to trust people because anybody who thinks that they're going to be able to do something 100% on their own is never going to be successful.
1: Well, you know, Joe, I'm pretty impressed with you, and I met you through Laura Campbell, mm-hmm. who was a John Maxwell team coach and leader, and who's pretty awesome. And she speaks so highly of you. So the fact that you were able to attract her, I think um, your work certainly aligns, because she does work with schools and organizations to empower students to lead themselves well, and therefore against bullying. But you've certainly attracted wonderful people to what you're doing.
2: I would like to think so. And I'd like to think that there's plenty more people out there that I haven't even met yet who I can attract to help us out. Laura is easily one of my most favorite people in the world. We connected in the organization's first year. She had discovered us, you know, random Google search of just doing her research about bullying for her endeavors. And she came across us reached out to us. I responded to her email. We met and she's been involved ever since. She is both a great power when you need things to get done because of the passion she puts into it, but she's also a person who is just so overwhelmingly positive that whenever she's around, it's very difficult for anything to ever really turn negative because she just always embodies this positivity and this passion for doing things that will better the people around you and it's absolutely an asset to not only the organization but to our board since she joined and to me just to be able to lean on people like that when you need some extra help an extra dose of positive into a day that you know can very quickly just take a negative overturn
1: yeah and I know that you deal with a lot of very serious issues like suicide and I know that she does too so having her on your team to kind of work off each other's energy is really important.
2: Absolutely. It's definitely an energy sharing situation with everybody that we have, but particularly with her because we did a workshop together this past week and you can just see that we are always in sync with each other. Our synergies are always so well blended and our energy is always positive and It is difficult, as you mentioned, given some of the things that we deal with on a daily basis, to maintain that, but she's definitely a pro at it. And just having known her these past five years has allowed me to kind of adapt a lot of that into my everyday living, my ability to be an empowering leader, and success as just an individual person.
1: Now, Joe, you work with schools, correct?
2: Yes. Our goal in the very beginning was to offer assemblies and such to schools who are in need of programs to be offering to their students to continue to maintain the focus on bullying. But we've kind of changed it a little bit as we've evolved, where we are trying to show the schools that more than just giving a program at a school is what we're capable of doing. We all understand that schools can only do so much. So we would like to work with them to kind of fill in the gaps where they may think, okay, we've gone this far, we can't go much further, but maybe the coalition can help us get that much further and make a lasting impact in the situation. So for example, they may have a school counselor who sees an individual child who's struggling with bullying, but they may need a little bit more help than maybe the school counselor on campus can provide. So we would like to show the schools that, When the child leaves, they can work with LIcAB, and we are able to not only refer a therapist or a psychologist to the family, but we will also offer to help them pay for it financially. So that's a great example of where the school's boundaries can end, but they can absolutely help facilitate the help even beyond the boundaries of the school. So things like that, I think, is what we'd really like to get across to the schools. In addition to talking to the kids, We're not really proponents of doing large scale assemblies when we do assemblies and when we do workshops, which for the time being, it's not a major focus just because we haven't gotten more depth on the bench that can be able to help substantiate the number of requests we get. So we really try to do it only upon request. We don't advertise at this point. When we do any type of talk with the community, we like smaller crowds. We like Girl Scout workshops. We like things like that where the crowds are smaller so that way we can engage in more of a conversation with the kids and get them to participate and not feel like it's just another hour-long program that they're going to be talked at. I want them to feel like they're being talked to, You know that they're part of the conversation, not just sitting there listening.
1: I know that our listeners may want to either donate or to contact you about a need in their school. So what's the best way to do that?
2: We have a phone number. It's 516-777-7709. And there'll always be a live individual who picks up the phone. And then if you're calling because you need help with a particular situation, the individual will take a message and route you to whoever's on call to handle that issue for the day, and we pride ourselves on being able to get back to anybody who calls us for help within the same day that they reached out. We also have the website, which is uh, lycab.org, and that's another great way of reaching out to us, both if you want to donate, if you want to sign up to volunteer, or if you'd like to reach out to us for help, you can do all of those things from the website. We're on all the social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We also have a specific email address, help, H-E-L-P at licab.org. So if you're on the move and you can't make a phone call and you can't get on the website, you can email that address and it will get routed to a response agent who can then return the call and work with you and offer advice or get you enrolled in some of the programs we offer the community.
1: Great. Thank you so much, Joe. Sure. Now, which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why?
2: One of my favorites is always, and I forget who says it, but I often reference it so you'd think I would remember, but one of my favorites is always the idea of true leadership is not to create more followers, but it's to create and inspire more leaders. I think that there is a great difference between a leader who gets up every day and just expects, I did my job today because I hired more people or I got more people to join the company or the staff or whatever situation it is. I think and I hope that I live by the example that I don't want people to follow me, I want them to work with me. And if they can take something that they see in my personality and realize, hey, you know, I see Joe doing it, I can adapt it to the way I live my life or the way I run my company or teach my class or whatever the case is, you know, that's what I'm aiming to do. When I trust somebody to come in and do something for the organization and I give them the ability to make of it what they want. I'm empowering them to be another leader in the organization, not just join the organization, do a job, and follow me. There's always going to be elements of that, that people always follow somebody, but. I think if you can inspire them to realize inside themselves that they also have the ability, no matter how small. I mean, I gave a speech a couple of weeks ago where I said leadership was not about the title that you have, the salary you make, or what kind of a fancy office you may have. There are numerous examples of leaders, their coaches, their teachers, their parents. And if everybody can look at somebody else in any type of a leadership role and say, hey, look at what they're doing. You know, that's easy. I know I can do that. You know, we're inspiring and creating other leaders, not just encouraging more people to follow the leaders that already exist.
1: Perfect. I love that because you're right. There are some people in leadership positions who can't lead themselves out of a paper bag. <laughs>
2: 100%. I know many.
1: <laughs> yes. I think we've experienced a lot. And so this is why the work that we're doing here is important. So, Joe, can you tell us what type of leader? are you inspired by and why?
2: I have always gravitated towards leaders who I guess I would say had the ability to do kind of what that quote suggests, create other leaders, not make more followers. But I've always gravitated towards leaders who are willing to roll up their sleeves and do as they say and not just ask other people to follow them for the sake of the fact that they said it
1: well, you don't like bully leaders
2: yeah I, you know and I also like leaders who you know in my early days of being just a middle-level management at a company several years ago you know we were down staff and instead of stressing out about it and getting upset about it of course I was upset about it of course it was stressful but I rolled up my sleeves and I put a headset on and I joined the rest of the team that was there and I got on the the phones and I took orders myself.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And
2: you know, I didn't show them that I was stressed about it. I showed them that, yeah, it's going to be a little bit of a rough day, but we're going to get through it. And I'm going to roll up my sleeves and help you get through it. And those are the type of people that I've always gravitated towards. I run the organization knowing every single day that there's never a job that I have ever or will ever ask somebody to do that I have not already done at some point in our growth or would not be willing to do again if it needed to get done. You know, we have a team of volunteers who, when we send out our mailings, for example, you know, they're stuffing envelopes, they're sealing the envelopes, stamping them, putting the labels. I've done all that. I know what goes into it. I know what kind of a time chunk that consumes. So when I ask somebody to do something like that, I don't ask them to do it because I think it's easy work. And I don't, think that anything that we would ever ask somebody to do is beneath anybody. And the way that I think you inspire people by leading is to show them that the job you're asking them to do is not beneath you to do it either. Mm -hmm. So those are always the type of people that I've kind of gravitated towards and I admire and I've kind of taken as my leadership mentors, people who are willing to kind of roll up their sleeves and get it done.
1: It's the type of leader who's very careful to walk the talk. You're very careful that you personify what good leadership is. So I really appreciate that.
2: Absolutely. And I think part of that is, is if you don't walk that line appropriately, you run the risk of turning people away from you. If you ever sit and just kind of dictate an order, something demand something gets done, but you have no interest in trying to help them do it or offer no guidance as to how it should be done, you're not going to get people to follow you. And ultimately, I don't think you're going to get many people to respect you either.
1: Right. So self-leadership,
2: that's where leadership starts. I constantly think that I'm doing a terrible job and then I get, you know, invitations to come on programs like this to talk about, you know, my leadership skills. And if you ask me, I doubt my leadership skills every day or doubt how effective I was today or get up tomorrow and say, you know, what can I do today that was better than yesterday? And while that's good, because it always keeps you always in pursuit of perfection, we are always the last people who kind of accept credit for the jobs we do because we're always our own biggest critics
1: right and see this is where having a coach is really important i'm a big advocate of leaders having coaches because we do need to turn to other people to speak into our lives because we, we can get negative sometimes and life is hard sometimes leadership sucks (laughs)
2: Absolutely. In the speech I referenced earlier to a group of high school kids, about 100 of them, the bulk of my remarks were on leadership and effective leadership. And I told them, I said, all of the romantic ideas that you have about being a leader or, you know, what they see as a leader, you know, a CEO of a company or a president or a politician, something like that, that's kind of more stereotypically what you see or what young people attribute leadership to be. I told them, I said, listen, there are some perks to it. I said, but sometimes it becomes a very lonely place to be because, mm-hmm. at least in my position, you know, there are a lot of people who help me make a decision, but when we make a decision that people either don't like or we take an opinion that other people don't agree with, it's not the group of us who accepts either the failure or who accepts the negative feedback, it's one person. And you have to be willing to accept that and it's how you work through accepting that that I think also helps empower other people. You know, I've given interviews before where people don't like our position and I've made decisions internally that other people don't agree with. But that old saying that success has many fathers, but failure is an orphan is absolutely true. And it's the testament to the individual who can manage through the times when they're standing there by themselves that I think really helps measure the magnitude of the person.
1: And you know, Joe, I love what you said too, that when things go well, you're ready to give credit to the people you lead. But when things aren't so positive, you're ready to take responsibility. And that's true leadership, my friend.
2: Yeah. I mean,
1: you don't have a choice.
2: Five years ago, when I woke up with this idea, I asked a lot of people about it. I did a lot of due diligence research on it to first figure out whether or not I was going to embark on recreating something that already existed on the island. All those things that go into the preliminary planning. But I didn't realize maybe at the time, as much as I do now, that there were going to be, you know, rough patches. And You know, knock wood and thank God that in five years, we've had many more successes than failures. But when the failures happen, the phrase the buck stops with you, Mm -hmm. you know, you've got to be able to own that. Because if you don't, you're not going to get further.
1: You know, and I want to clarify that that is a choice because there are some leaders that will pass the buck. Absolutely. Um, So the fact that you're so cognizant and when things are going well, you honor the people you lead. And when things aren't going so well, you take responsibility. And that's what I'm saying. 100%, yes. So Joe, what's the best advice you've ever received?
2: You know, I thought a lot about that this morning, and it's kind of a struggle. I have been very blessed in my life to be surrounded by a lot of people who have bestowed a lot of wisdom on me. And oftentimes, as a personality flaw that I have, I don't think that I ever express gratitude as often as I should be on the things that I learned from other people that they may not necessarily know that they taught me. Um, You know, it's kind of cliche, but I think that my mom just telling me, you know, getting up every day, do the best that you can do. It sounds really cliche and it sounds very, you know, overly used, but you can't ever ask of somebody or of yourself to do anything more than the best that you can do. And if the best you can do on any given day may not have been the best you did the day before. But, you know, today's a Saturday, so the best I can do today, I have the opportunity tomorrow on Sunday morning to wake up and say, look, I don't really like what I did yesterday and I think I can do better. So today I'm going to try to do a little better. But when you only give yourself the expectation of do the best you can do, it's both empowering, but it's also grounding. You set the bar higher knowing that you can try today to do better than you did yesterday and and challenge yourself. But at the same time, it's grounding because you are able to maintain the idea that we're not superheroes. We are just people and people will at times drop the ball. People will at times not win the race. But I think it's the effort you put into trying to win that race that keeps you getting out of bed every day, but also keeps you humble.
1: So there's a couple of things about this. For the moms that are listening, it's encouraging when we tell our kids to do the best they can do, and hopefully down the road, they'll see that the same way that you see it. And the other thing is that even though you think it's cliche, it takes intentionality to put this into practice and hard work. It takes effort. Sure. It's great advice. Hey, leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message.
0: I'm Melissa Agnes, crisis management advisor, keynote speaker, and author. My new book, Crisis Ready, Building an Invincible Brand in an Uncertain World, was designed for faculty, professors, and their students alike. This book, in a fun and engaging way, takes you through every single step where your organization will be in a position to weather any negative event in a way that increases the trust credibility and goodwill in your organization. The book is also being adopted into curriculum around the world, which I am extremely proud and grateful for. If you're interested in learning more about Crisis Ready, building an invincible brand in an uncertain world, then please go to melissaagnes.com to learn more. That's melissaagnes.com for Crisis Ready, building an invincible brand in an uncertain world.
1: So, Joe, I first met you at an event.
2: Our gala. That's
1: right. That's where I first met you. And I know that you had other people pouring in. You had a parent organization. It was certainly camaraderie and teamwork. So what does it mean to you to have a good team and how do you build and sustain one?
2: I think it's more commonly said that a president is only as good as the people that advise him. But I think you could take that line and you can apply it to any form of leadership and myself obviously included. The board that founded the organization, most of those board members are no longer with us. I think there's a difference between recognizing good people and recognizing that there are good people for the moment of time that you're in. And that's not a bad thing. When we're first starting, I thought I needed more people who had more knowledge or were a little bit more seasoned on the functionality of a nonprofit. And then as you grow and now you've got the idea of running a nonprofit basically okay, now you need to gravitate towards more people that are going to help you effectively execute your mission. So you look at each person and what they bring to the table. You know we had a board meeting the other day and it was a conversation that we actually had just using us again as an example when you put a board together you're asking them to take the ride with you i'm asking everybody at the table to advise and consent on things that we do for the community and support me on the decisions i'll make some of them i need their support on that they don't necessarily have direct input in but others that they might But when you invite people to take that journey with you, you have to be able to trust that you put them there and listen to the advice that they're going to give you. It does nothing to just put somebody around a table with you in any format where you are just going to have them there for the sake of filling a seat. So I have a very good team of people around me from the board level on down. The team that works on the menial but necessary tasks of stuffing envelopes and updating our social media, where their profile may not be as high as a board member, but their involvement and their effort is every bit as important. So I have to say that through the entire five year journey so far, I've always been blessed with people that were very good members of the team. Some who have moved on just because the time was right and the time that we needed them, it served its purpose. And that's okay. A lot of people think that when you want to do something, you've got to be in it for a long haul. But that's not necessarily the case. If you have qualities and traits that are good for that moment, then that's good. And then move on from there. I'm a big believer in aces in their places, You know, putting the best people in the position that best suits them. And when time has run out, then everybody moves on. But we've always had a very good team in general, and I've always had a very close-knit team for me directly. So it's very important.
1: Hmm. Thank you so much for that. Now, Joe, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life?
2: Sure. I mean, uh, I talk about it a lot, and I never used to talk about it before the organization started, but I think it's my past experience as an individual who suffered from bullying. When it was happening, it was hard to imagine, virtually impossible to imagine, how anything that was happening to me at that time was a lesson to be learned. Mm. But you know, when you are a sixth grader and you're getting teased and people are leaving you in the woods and other things that I went through, or as you get older, they're stealing your stuff from your backpack, it's impossible to find how you know losing your glasses for a week is going to do anything to help shape you in the future. But now when I'm on the verge of turning 31, I look back on all of that and it shapes every aspect of my life. It shows me how to be nicer to people and you don't have to like people, but you do have to respect them. Mm -hmm. And I think that looking back on those days, it shaped the individual that I am, but it also led me to discovering a passion that I didn't really know that was ever in there, you know, helping other people or the idea that I would be running a nonprofit to help people deal with their bullying or help families overcome it. Last night, for example, I had dinner with a family that we've been working with for the better part of a year and a half, who unfortunately is still dealing with almost daily struggles of bullying in varying forms. But it's my empathy for what they're going through because I can relate to it myself that puts me at the table with them and makes it conversational where I'm approachable and they feel that I can relate to what's going on. So it was you know, one of the biggest challenges of life. It was difficult then. It's still difficult in some cases to talk about and remember. I'm sure I have blocked out a lot more than I am willing to remember. But people ask me all the time, if you went back in history, would you ever erase that part of it? And in the moment when I was a sixth grader or whatever the age was, if you asked me that then, I would say absolutely. But if you ask me now as the person I've become, if I would erase it, I would say no, because I'm not sure that I would be the person I am today if I didn't have those experiences or those challenges then.
1: I really appreciate you speaking into this because it's an example of how we can turn our mess into our message. Sure. Or our experiences into something so powerful that can help other people. So I really appreciate all you're doing and the great, powerful and needed work. So can you tell us about one of your greatest successes?
2: I'm sure there are a lot of them. That was another question I pondered today. Again, you know, going through Like we said earlier, that we're our own fiercest critics. Sometimes it's it's Mm kind of hard when you look back and somebody asks you, what do you think a success in your life is? You know, there are a lot of different things, I guess, but I'd have to pick the success of the organization, although it's not just my success. It's a lot of other people's effort and work to getting us to this point, obviously, but I guess if you boil it down, It was initially my idea. And if you listen to anything about leadership, the idea that I'm here has got to be the guiding principle in some of our successes. So the fact that I had no nonprofit experience other than writing a check to others, the idea that we've made it five years and we are successful and we're offering the community the powerful and lasting programs that we do and helping people change their lives and helping them find light in darkness Again, I'm hesitating on this question because I don't really believe that it has so much to do with me. I guess if I were to pick a, a success in life, I would say, you know, that I'm the leader of a successful nonprofit and, you know, one that I built, but, you know, it's not so much a focus on the fact that I built it as it is the work that everybody else has put into it.
1: This question is where people do pause, but one of the things that I'm also learning is that we do need to celebrate those successes. When I get something done that I had planned to do, if it gets done, I tend to keep plowing forward I'm um,
2: 100% with you on that. My to-do, right? when, when I finish one to-do list, I start another one.
1: Right. And it could be something great that you've accomplished, but you keep plowing forward. Yeah. But we do need to stop and celebrate those things. And you know who taught me that? Laura Campbell. I've learned it, but she's the one that's helped me to implement that. So you may want to tap into her. She tells
2: me that all the time, actually. <laughs> you know, we had a successful first gala. That's where you and I met. And at the end of that night, she asked me, you know, have I taken this all in? And I said, you know, I'm already on to planning the next thing and making the next impact. We weren't even done with that night yet. She's definitely that person. And that's another wonderful trait she brings to the team. It's definitely something that I struggle with, you know, and she definitely is never hesitant to call me out on it.
1: And one of the things that that does too, though, Joe, is that other people are looking at you. The students you lead, the people you lead, the parents you lead are looking at you And they need to celebrate themselves as well. So as a leader, being an example in that area is something that I'm also working on. So I'm with you, brother. I'm with you. (laughs) All right. So, Joe, what would you tell a new leader who's discouraged about their working climate or culture?
2: In past lives, I have had to be a leader in middle management and i was not happy with the climate of the company i worked in and i was not happy with the direction that the company was going in and i had to remember that i still had a staff that worked under me and they may not necessarily see the things that i saw in the company they weren't in the meetings i was in they didn't have to deal with the people i had to deal with they were coming to work not dealing with the politics of doing anything other than getting up in the morning and going to work and going about their day. And that's the part that you have to focus on. You have to focus on the fact that you have a responsibility to acknowledge that every day isn't always going to be easy, but it's a day Mm -hmm. and you're going to get through that day and realize that the ramifications of your actions, you know, if I were to come out of a bad meeting and go into something else and my staff were to see me and they would see me, you know, upset, that sets the tone for their day so even if it's the idea that you don't think that your actions changing somebody else's day is or is not being a leader, it is. You've got the power, especially when people are looking to you for the answers and the direction. If they see that you are unhappy, they're going to be unhappy. And again, That's a heavy burden to carry. But that's why, unfortunately, let's be clear, leadership and the ability of leading and being in position to be a leader is not necessarily for everybody. It's not something that everybody can embrace. Some people don't want that responsibility. I don't necessarily get up every day and look for it. It kind of, as we talked about earlier, finds me. It's something to remember that you've got to push through and kind of put your own stuff on the side so that when other people look at you they see a person that they are inspired by, and they see a person that they want to help. You know, It's okay to let on that you're having a rough day, because that's when your troops, so to speak, will rally behind you, and they'll do more to help you. you. know, They'll be a give and a take. You're going to build them up, and they're going to build you up when you need them to do the same thing. So It's definitely a heavy concept. I would never tell a person who is you know, trying to be any type of a leader, that it's going to be easy because it isn't. And we've already said many times, it's often a lonely place to be, but you get a lot out of it if you do it correctly.
1: You know, I love how authentic you are about this because it isn't easy. The reality is that this happens often and it does happen in schools often. And also, you know, you spoke to responsibility and I really appreciate how you value those you lead. Because even when you were talking about having a hard day, you recognized how that can impact those people you lead and it doesn't have to. And so when you spoke to responsibility, that's a big aspect of leadership. That's the part that sometimes isn't so sexy, right?
2: No, and look, I'll be the first one to tell you, as I'm sure many others would be from time to time, I will never shy away from the idea that I don't always live up to that. And the bad day that I'm having, I do sometimes have a tendency to make it other people's bad days. But that's why I like the idea that you're always striving for perfection. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not going to get up every day and nobody's ever going to be perfect. But during the course of striving for perfection, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to slip up. You know, I will be the first one to tell you that there have been many patches and probably still today that people will tell you that when Joe's in a bad mood, look out, look the other way. You know That happens to be a fact of life, but when I hear that, it is concerning for me because I know the impact that that's having on the other person's day. And it is up to me to not only change it so that it helps my own day not be so bad, but so that I don't ruin somebody else's day when really what I'm struggling with has next to nothing, if anything, to do with them.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much. Now, Joe, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners what does that mean to you and what are you learning now?
2: It's the concept we've said a couple of times of always striving for perfection. You're never going to get to perfect if you stop thinking that you have anything more that you can learn.
1: That's a dangerous leader, right? Yes,
2: it is. You never want to be following or inspired by somebody who thinks that they have learned it all. And I'd like to think that my youth is a strength in this perspective because I still look at it like I have a whole life that I haven't lived yet that's going to have a lot more learning experiences for me. Some may be good and some may be bad, but it's the idea that sometimes you can take from the bad experiences the lessons learned and move on with them. But I think that there's two different ways of looking at lifelong learners. Uh, Some people may argue that a lifelong learner is a person who takes life's experiences and uses it to change themselves hopefully for the better. But I also think you can look at it from the perspective as I think a lot of people more often do that when people say, are you always learning? Are you reading another book? Are you you know, Googling something else? Are you brushing up on this? Are you taking another college class? You know, Those are I think your more default ways of saying you're always gonna be learning. But I think the more the better and I think it's unique in any leadership position is The experiences of daily life and your interactions with other people and the way you treat people, the way they treat you, the way you see the world around you, the way you try different things and see if they work or they don't work, those are where I think you get more of your learning abilities because it makes you more seasoned. It teaches you, okay, I did it this way once. It didn't really work out that way. So the next time I'm faced with this same situation, I might do it differently. So I don't think that it's possible in any stretch of the imagination to be a successful leader or a successful person if you ever consider yourself done learning. Hmm. As far as what I'm learning now, I think I'm learning way too many things that I can squeeze into the remaining time we have left. I think I am always learning from the people around me. The question becomes, am I willing to acknowledge and see what other people are willing to teach me? Whether they're trying to teach me or if it's just my... Sitting quietly back and just observing, which I do a lot, you know, I like to pace, I like to sit, you know, and just quiet. And a lot of people sometimes interpret my silence as being moody. But sometimes it's just so that I can kind of fall back, measure a situation and see what I can learn from it. So I always think I'm learning. It's not always fun. Mm-hmm. But it's what you need to do to be a successful leader and, I think, a productive human being. You said it's a dangerous leader to be a person who says that they're done learning. I think it's a dangerous person who thinks that they're done learning.
1: Well said. If there were something you could change in education in the U.S., what would that be? Oh, It's a heavy question, right? <laughs> it is.
2: And it's another question I kind of pondered over because there's a lot of different perspectives that you can look at it from. Going from the bullying perspective, just to start with that, I think there's a lot of places that we need to be looking at. I think we are very concerned with the grades that the kids get. And of course, no question, that's something that we always need to be concerning for and striving for better. But I think I've seen a trend that seems to be moving away from a child's ability to be happy during the course of their learning experiences in an effort to concentrate so much on the educational outcomes. Obviously, in the wake of certain experiences the past couple of weeks and certain situations, we've been putting a lot more emphasis on the mental health of kids. But what we're not necessarily engaging in, and I don't know whether or not it's because society is so overstimulated these days that we don't have the ability as a society very often to take one thing and just look at that and deal with that before we moved on to the next. So I think we're failing to acknowledge that in the strive for putting so much focus on churning out smart kids and kids that are getting good grades that will look positively on the students and on the school, We're kind of jeopardizing the stress that we're putting and then compromising the mental health of the kids who are becoming so stressed and overwhelmed with being a kid today. You know, have you joined this club? Have you joined that club? Well, you need it for your college applications. Don't forget that. And you need these community service hours. And everything is so geared towards the future that I feel like we might be losing sight of the fact that kids still need to be kids now. And I think that has a lot to do with why you're seeing such rises in anxiety and such rises in dangerous repercussions of heavy stress. And again, I'm not saying that all those things are bad to strive for good grades and be involved in the community and be a productive member of your student body by joining extracurriculars. But we have to stop putting so much emphasis on only that because then bad things happen and everybody likes to look around and say, well, how did we get here? Mm-hmm. So, I think that's an educational issue, but it also has to do with what I deal with on a daily basis with bullying. You know, we talk often about an invisible backpack, which is everybody in the world, every single human being walks around with an invisible backpack. It's a backpack that nobody else sees, but it's filled with all the struggles of our individual lives.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: when somebody bullies somebody, They don't think that calling somebody a nasty name every day or doing something habitually makes that big of an impact because they look at it from an isolated, well, I only did that. I only called them this. But you don't see the struggle they have every day. Maybe they failed the test. Maybe they're not getting such good grades. Maybe they've got issues at home. And it all feeds into the same thing. And I think, you know, when you take the stress of being a kid today, which none of us know what that's like you know i used to think i was fairly relatable to kids of today because you know i'm only 30 i I look kind of young but i'm finding the more i'm talking to kids i can't put myself in their shoes at all based on experiences i lived because it's completely different so when you take the stress that they're under from the grades they have to get the extracurriculars they have to be involved in the community service hours they need for college all those kind of things and now you add something like bullying or you add any other host of other issues, I'm not at all surprised with why you are seeing an increase in suicide rates, an increase in anxiety diagnoses and mental health diagnoses. It's not a surprise at all. I mean, we have to fall back and kind of look at the stresses we're putting on kids, do and undo, and kind of examine the larger role that they play. It's kind of a long answer to what was kind of a simple
1: question. but Actually, I don't think it was a simple question. And you've hit the nail on the head. You're right. We're churning this stress. And I don't believe it's intentional.
2: No, nor do but,
1: I. But if we keep churning the stress, we know how stress affects people. We're not able to learn. We're not able to create spaces for creativity, for moving forward, for developing Students that are ready for the 21st century, we're not able to teach social emotional skills, which are really important. And you have adults who are stressing out who can't do that either. So we're creating these blocks where there's no growth, um, even though that's exactly what we want to do. So-
2: it's a cycle that we are feeding into and the more we feed into it the less likely we are going to be to ever break it one day like I said before we're gonna step back and say well how did we get here you know we all think that smartphones is just as a quick example a smartphone is a great tool and it is absolutely a tool but it is also absolutely the reason why relationships are failing these days both romantic relationships and friendships because we're losing in this generation X that's emerging it's going to be even worse than it was for millennials in my case because we knew what life was like before smart technology but now we know what life is like with it this up-and-coming generation has no ability to see both worlds they only see the world that they're growing into and i think when you look at things always through the prism of a bright computer screen a bright cell phone screen it loses the ability to build a social connection to somebody that doesn't have to do with typing it in order to communicate it. So I just think that that's an example of a struggle Mm -hmm. that we've got today.
1: Now, Joe, what have you read that our listeners should read and why?
2: I was kind of torn on whether or not I wanted to admit this, but I'm going to just because I I think that it's an honest answer. Um, I don't typically do a lot of reading per se. I will never sit down and say, oh, I have to read this book. It's definitely a drawback in my personality. I'll be the first to tell you that because I think you definitely learn a lot from books. And I I think books, especially fictional books, give you the ability to kind of escape your own world and get into somebody else's world. But I read every day, but I read things that make me more well-rounded. So if I'm in a situation where I'm engaging in a conversation and there's something being discussed that I don't know anything about or don't feel like I know enough about, I'm going home at the end of that day or five minutes later or whenever I have the quickest time, and here's where smartphones are great, and I'm going to learn very quickly what I felt I didn't know five minutes ago or earlier that day. So I'm always reading, but I never sit down and say, okay, I'm going to read this John Grisham novel today or this, you know, whatever. Uh, I've got a lot of books upstairs. Some I make it through, some I don't. But I'm always reading something, but it's hard for me to say, go out and read this because Some of what I read every day, other people would maybe find unimportant. Or, for example, yesterday there was a change proposed to one of our bullying laws. So it's whether or not schools should be mandated to communicate that a bullying incident has been reported and communicate that both to the parents of the individual reporting it as well as the parents of the person who's accused. So I wanted to learn more about that, so I found the actual text of the law, I read it, which caused me to have some other questions about definitions that the state has for things. So Mm -hmm. I went and found those definitions in state law and statutes, and I read the whole statute. So I would never suggest, based on yesterday's reading, that I would tell other people to go read New York state laws, but that's how I operate, and that's how I maintain what I think is a well-rounded perspective. If I feel like I don't know something or don't know enough about it, I'm gonna make sure that I learn it. And sometimes that means going out and reading a book on something. I mean, I was a big fan when I was younger of all those dummies guidebooks. Mm -hmm. Um, They're well done. They really are. They give you the perfect line between what you need to know, but still keeping it simple. i read a lot of those. We started the nonprofit. I had several different volumes of nonprofits for dummies. So I guess I can't really give you a book because I don't sit down and read things like that, but I'm always reading something every day.
1: What I'm hearing is that it's important for a leader to keep growing in their knowledge, especially where they lead.
2: Sure. It would be a terrible position for me to find myself in if somebody else knew more about this topic than I did. It would jeopardize the standing that I have both amongst my team as well as amongst the community. You know, I didn't really want this position out in the world, but I was willing to accept the idea that I would be one of the de facto community leaders on the issue. But in order to do that, you have to be constantly educating yourself and keeping up with the changing of the times.
1: Perfect. Now, Joe, you have a lot of responsibilities. What (sighs) do you do on a daily basis to set your mind?
2: I am a big to-do list person. I don't type my to-do lists. I carry a full-bound notebook uh, with a spine and everything, hardcover, what? and I have different volumes of them. When I'm done with a book, it's where I take all of my notes at every meeting I'm in. It's where I write my to-do lists every day, and I cross them off. And I have to see it crossed off my list because that's where I get my sense of, you know, I accomplish
1: accomplishment. That. Right.
2: <laughs> um, when I'm done with a book. I put a label on the outside of the spine and I put it in the bookshelf so that way if I ever have to go back to something, I know what spans it is. And these are pretty big books, so they usually run me probably about a year before I run out of paper in them. And then I like to go back and I read them you know, from time to time. And I I see, based on the to-do lists of three years ago, what's different then than it is now and where are my notes and things like that. But I'm a big to-do list guy and I believe in handwriting all of my notes because I learn better when I'm still using a pen. I prefer only to write in script. That's how I learn and absorb better when I write it. It keeps me most efficient that way. I mean, I tried moving to technology and I guess this is where the millennial position of knowing what life was like before technology, I don't feel that I absorb it or I learn it or I retain it as good when I type it out as I do when I'm handwriting it. It's definitely a tool that works for me. Also, I have a recorder in my car. So that way when I'm driving, when things pop into my head as I'm you know, driving, if I have something that I can't write down at that moment, I'll record it into the recorder. And then when I get home, I'll play it back and I'll add it to my list or I'll know to do it. Those are things that might seem kind of archaic, but um, they work for me. It's really the only way to keep me efficient. And because I still work a regular job from nine to five, I do the same thing with the nine to five job too. I have a separate hardcover bound book that I use for that. So I don't mix the two endeavors and prioritize everything as it should be.
1: Joe, I'm pretty impressed with what you do, but I wrote down several words that popped up when you were talking you're extremely organized the fact that you keep one notebook and you haven't lost it
2: yeah one notebook and all the notes are always written with the same pen
1: right and, that
2: I, on a and
1: then you label it you're extremely structured um <laughs> very detailed you said efficient also resilient you know yourself well and you have a pretty good memory so i'm pretty impressed thank um, you so Joe, if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership?
2: I think I would have to say, celebrate your successes more.
1: Mm.
2: You know, we've talked about it here today. You know, Laura always reminds me to do it. I think if I were to be able to tell myself that from a younger age, I think I might be doing it more now. You know, there's always the risk that people run. And I think I struggle with this the idea of coming across as celebrating your accomplishments can very quickly, if done too much or the wrong way, be looked at as arrogance. And I am always very careful to not make myself look like I'm an arrogant person and that I'm maintaining my humbleness. But it is okay, as we've said already, that you celebrate your successes because if you don't celebrate your successes, first of all, it's going to be harder to see when others come. And you lack motivation for trying to strive to have more successes if you don't acknowledge the successes that you've already had. You know, if you think you're leading a life full of things that have never mattered, it's gonna be harder for you to get up the next day and try to do something that matters. I think that would probably be one of the best thing I could have told myself back then, even from when I was younger in high school. When I was in high school, I made it from ninth grade when I was basically a gopher for the yearbook staff, taking pictures and running errands and going to get pictures developed for everybody who's listening. Yes, I did say go get pictures developed. (laughs) And then I worked myself up from those roles to leadership positions where I would run a section and be responsible for a deadline all the way up to my senior year where I was editor in chief of the yearbook. Unfortunately, my yearbook advisor got pregnant the year I was editor in chief. So I didn't really have a hands on advisor love her to death. I still talk to her several times a week, but she got pregnant at a time that was a little difficult for me personally. I can't hold that against her. Um, So it was harder. And all I wanted to do was get the book done. But now years later, when I remember that I had almost no staff helping me, a yearbook advisor that was out most of the year, and the senior class still got their yearbook on time, that was a success of mine. Where I didn't see it then, but I know I can look at it now and count it as a success. It's hard. Everybody, I think, real people who care about what they're doing don't ever want to have the world look at them as arrogant. And I think when you celebrate your successes, some people misinterpret that as he's full of himself, you know, he thinks too much of himself, and he's really not that special. And and you don't want that kind of feedback from people, right. and right. you don't want that reputation. So I think what we do is we go the opposite way, and we will acknowledge nothing that we do well. So that we save ourselves from the risk of looking like we praise ourselves too much so I think there's a happy medium that needs to be found in there And I think if I could I would go back and tell myself to strive to figure out what that happy medium is
1: Yeah, there's certainly a fine line You know what I love that I'm hearing is that you value humility And to me you have to have humility to grow in wisdom. I think they go hand in hand Sure But I also believe that we need people like Laura in our lives because having those quick wins are important. Students need to have those quick wins. As leaders, we need to be an example of that. Now, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners that we haven't addressed?
2: I think that if you just get up every day and you do the best that you are capable of doing on that day use the day before or the week before as your guidance between what you know you can do and where you think you can do better. I think that you're going to do fine. There are going to be bad times. There are going to be rough times and you got to get through them. And how you get through them will be how other people measure you. You often get judged more on how you make it through the bad times than how you've navigated the good times because it's easier to navigate the good. Always remember that bad times are going to happen. You know, there's no way around them. Life's not easy. Life's not perfect, but you know, it's worth it. And as long as you can get up every day and do the best you can, know that bad things are going to happen, work to try to avoid them. But when they are not avoidable, work to get through them and come out stronger on the other side. They seem like small things. But when you do them in succession and on a consistent basis with each other, before you know it, you'll have turned yourself into something that you didn't really think that you had the ability to be. I think if I look back on all those things I just said, I didn't really think I had the ability to be those either. And now I'm getting asked to sit on a podcast to talk about my ability and leadership skills. How
1: awesome is that?
2: And that's, I think, the (laughs) biggest takeaway. I was a kid who got bullied who never really thought high of himself because he had other people telling him that he was bad at most everything that he did. I could have just believed that. But instead, I think I figured out a way of getting through it, eating it up, digesting it, and using it to make me the person that I became today. And I didn't think that I had anything to offer the world as far as leadership. But other people use the word genuine and authentic when they describe me. And even if I can't see it and I can't acknowledge it in myself, The way I behave and the way I talk and the way I act, I guess, conveys it for me, whether or not I believe it becomes my own issue. Get up every day, do the best that you can, tackle the bad when they happen, try to come out stronger on the other side, and you'll be on a podcast about leadership too in your own way.
1: (laughs) Well, Joe, I am so honored that you decided to come and talk to us. I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners.
2: Thank you very much for having me again. It was a pleasure and the high point of my weekend. I assure you that.
1: Have a great day.
2: You too. Thank you.
1: Hello, leaders. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time... Continue to ignite that leader in you.